Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me for our weekly roundup and look at the week in review is uh, Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor and from CQ Roll Call, uh, the editor-at-large, the main man, the myth, the legend, John Bennett. <laughs> That's, uh, guys, thanks for joining us here today for unpacking the wonderful world of politics this past week. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about shock, amazement. No, not shock and all, shock and amazement. Donald Trump got indicted, his response and so look at some, and so we have uh, some letters from you, and we'll take a look at the GOP pushback, gun violence, and the war in Ukraine. So stick around for this important message, and we'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question and here for our weekly roundup once again is Michael Selden, former federal prosecutor and editor-at-large uh, and columnist at CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. Well, uh, to no one's shock, Donald Trump was indicted uh, in, in Manhattan this week, the first of what we suspect will be at least two or three indictments. Um, I have looked at it, uh, honestly, as we take that there is, it is probably by far the weakest case to bring against Donald Trump as many legal analysts have said, and as Michael, as you have said here on this program, and John, as you have said, I kind of look at it, if you're a chess player putting the uh, the uh, uh, the king in check for the first time as you drive him into the corner, or if you like the uh, boxing analogy, I you know, from my youth, it's the jab that sets up the body blow, which will probably be the Mar-a-Lago indictment and then uh the uppercut which would probably be something from georgia and then the haymaker coming at you last something from the january 6th uh commission but or, or investigation but that's all to come right now it's all about the current indictment a 34 count indictment and uh, i'll start with you michael to unpack there are people who have made much of 34 counts and those who say there's nothing to it at least one felony we're told among the 34 counts so uh, bring us up to date on that if you can. Well, you have to always start by saying no one has seen the indictment. Yes. So we're all speculating on the nature of the charges. The public record on this case is, as we've discussed, that in the run-up to the election in 2016, 
Stormy Daniels says she's going to make a public announcement that she had an affair with Trump. Trump, fearing the impact of that on his election, arranges with Michael Cohen, his lawyer at the time, to pay her $130,000 in hush money. That money is paid. And then over the period of a year or so, Michael Cohen is repaid by the Trump organization or Trump individually, it's not clear, um, increments of about 10 or so thousand dollars until the $130,000 is repaid. Those repayments are listed on the Trump records as legal fees per a retainer that Trump and Michael Cohen had. And Michael Cohen says now, and the prosecutors seem to agree, that those repayments, those multiple repayments, were not, in fact, legal fees, but rather the reimbursement of that initial $130,000 uh, hush money payment, money to keep Stormy from making her case public. It's illegal in New York, a misdemeanor, to falsify a business record. So if it was, in fact, a repayment of a uh, Stormy Daniels hush money scheme, and it was recorded as attorney's fees, that's a crime. If they, if those payments were then deducted from taxes as business expenses of the organization, that's also a crime because they weren't business expenses, they were the return of hush money payments. If it's provable that those payments, the initial $130,000 payment was made to, to reduce the impact on his political campaign versus to avoid embarrassment with his family or some other explanation, that could be a violation of federal election law, which says that type of payment has to be reported as a contribution to the election. So those are the facts. How you get an indictment out of that is, as I said, the multiple repayments, business record expenses, the false tax returns about those 10 or 12 payments, and the false uh, or the failure to determine that they are election related. That could get you 30 counts, 10 times three for the same events. But if you look at it, really, it's just one scheme. Pay Stormy Daniels to keep her quiet, repay Michael Cohen in a way that doesn't reflect that the initial $130,000 was to keep Stormy Daniels quiet. It's arguably a, a violation of, of New York's misdemeanor and felony law, but it's got lots of problems. First is the misdemeanor charges standing alone have a two-year statute of limitations. That statute of limitations has run. The felony charges have a five-year statute of limitations, which are just about to run, which is why I think the case was brought now before it was completely prevented from being uh, allowed to be brought. Um, but the theory that gets these things to felonies from the initial repayment of Cohen is tenuous, especially the federal election aspect of it, because it's not clear that really this payment wasn't made for multiple purposes, one of which may have been federal election law, but the bulk of which was to avoid, avoid the embarrassment of this, just like John Edwards did right. when, when he made a similar type of payment. And remember, in that case, he was indicted and the jury 
acquitted him on one charge and hung on the rest, and the case was never rebrought. And the fear that people have in this case is that we're walking right into another John Edwards case, which is uh, a case that may not have ever been brought but for the visibility of the defendant. And that's not a basis by which you bring cases. You don't bring cases necessarily unless it's Al Capone and you can only get them on taxes. You right. don't tend to bring cases that are, you know, uh, involve primarily who the person is. And then you look for a bootstrap way to bring charges against them. So we'll see, Brian, whether or not well, it, this can this can this can stick. But all I'm saying is that one, you've got a statute of limitations issue. Two, you've got you know active motions to dismiss that are that are going to come into play. Third, you've got this question of whether or not these were uh, this was a selective prosecution that if anybody else did this, it would be set, it would be settled civilly, uh, which is what mostly happens in these types of cases. Um, but in Trump's case, they went um, uh, criminally. And the political uh, fallout, which John can turn to in a second, what happens, you, you analogize this to boxing and it's, and it's a jab, but if you, if you end up losing the fight, then what good did that jab do you? And in fact, did it do you even more harm? Well, the, the idea being that the jab sets up everything else, because as we know, and John, you can speak to this as, as well as anyone else, Donald Trump won't settle, therefore guaranteeing that this will go on for a long while. And Michael, you can even speak to that as well. We know there's a really good chance this won't even go to trial until after the 2024 election with all the maneuvering going on. And John, you know well as well as I do, that's Donald's way of doing things. He's going to bark about it and he's going to delay as much as possible. Yes. That's right. Uh, I've written it over the years as uh, denied, deny and deflect uh, with various other D's words thrown in there, <laughs> depending on the circumstance he found himself in. Uh, in fact, there's a, a really good New York Times piece this morning that I shared with you guys before we started that gets into this Trump. They frame it as attack and deny. I would also throw deflect in there always with Donald Trump and, and delay. That's another yeah. tactic that we see here. And I, I expect you'll see all of this stuff again. We've seen it over the years. Uh, one of his lawyers, uh, Joe Tacopina, was on uh, some of the Sunday Sunday shows this morning. And he, he said, don't expect much from them on Tuesday because, again, they haven't seen the document. They haven't seen right. all the charges yet. Uh, he did say he expects uh, that that the Trump team will move to dismiss uh, the charge, all the charges at some point, but not on Tuesday. So that's a little bit of a preview here uh, that they're, you know, it's the same old Trump playbook that he's he's ran his whole uh, entire adult life. And, you know, Roy Cohen, uh, who was his father's lawyer, who taught him a lot of these tactics, uh, someone, one of the, the panelists on one of the Sunday shows this morning noted that Cohen told him, never get arrested because you lose control. And that's what, in part is going to happen on Tuesday. Um, he will have, you know, Trump controls narratives. He manipulates the media. He manipulates his opponents. He manipulates all, all just about every Republican other than Asia Hutchinson, uh, former Arkansas governor into 
uh, just immediately reflectively jumping to his defense. Um, he's not going to have an easy time uh, doing that with this judge and and probably the jury. When I, I guess this is a jury trial, I, yeah. I guess right, Michael? Yeah, well, he can request a judge a trial. bench trial. Uh, I don't know if both sides have to agree to that or not, but but he certainly can ask for that. And okay. you know, in Manhattan. Depending on what judge he has, maybe that's the the wiser course. Yeah, and Tecapino also he he hinted at uh, this statute of limitations issue that Michael uh, just walked us through. Uh, I it seems like they're gonna they're gonna play on that 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 too much time has passed here uh, to bring these charges. And also, uh, Tecapino said that, that he hinted signal that they'll argue that these were not false business records that nothing was falsified that everything was fine. And then they'll go hard after Michael Cohen, who will be the star witness for the prosecution. And they're just going to paint him as, as uncredible and a liar. And now he has a personal grievance against Donald Trump. The, the latter is true, but that doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that Cohen, once he raises his right hand in the courtroom, won't be telling the truth. But that, again, that'll be up to the judge and the jury uh, to decide how credible he is or is not. Yeah, I, I think that the Donald Trump version of all of this is, uh, let me make money off of it. Um, <laughs> We're already seeing that. Yeah, he's already sent out letters asking for 5 or $10 from all of his supporters. And it always makes you wonder if he's such a wonderfully large and uh, huge billionaire, the bigliest, what, what does he need to grift his uh, supporters for? But that's another story. What I curious about when you take a look at them um, and both of you can chime in on this when we look at um the indictment um i what i'm wondering and, and it, how this keeps to me it keeps donald focused on this and i i still look at the um we're still looking at mark meadows testimony perhaps uh in a couple other cases we're looking at what happened at mar-a-lago and the fact that you know, Pence has got to come forward and testify in a couple of things. It it keeps Donald's ire and anger focused on the lesser of these charges while the larger ones are progressing. And so that's why I, I liken it to a boxing analogy. You, you're going after the jab and, and you're leaving your body open for the body blow. Uh, so I, I wonder if it's a stratagem, if that going first with the Manhattan the, the lightest of the charges is a, a stratagem. And I have said, and I will defend this, I believe that whatever else happens for the rest of his natural life, even if Dr. Ronnie Cox is correct and he lives to be 200, I think he's going to be spending the rest of those years of his fighting either in civil or criminal court. He still has several civil cases to, to handle, one including an anonymous jury, so I don't know that, uh, and Michael, you tell me, could this be a stratagem or is it just stupidity <laughs> to go to pursue this case since it is the weakest of those he may face? Well, if you're saying stratagem, meaning all the different prosecutors are speaking on a conference call and figuring out how should no, we- No, not a conspiracy. Not a well, no, 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 I'm not saying conspiracy. I'm saying strategy. Yeah. All right, guys, we all have our cases. How do we want to do this across two state prosecutions, Manhattan and, and, and Georgia? 
and and then two independent counsel investigations out of out of the feds. I don't think they're coordinating in in that way. I think that each prosecutor is making his or her own determinations as to timetables. And I think, as I said, that which really drove the timing in this case, more likely than not, was the statute of limitations issues. Because while it's arguable uh, whether those misdemeanors can be brought, appended to a felony, um, there's no question but that the felony charges, if the five-year runs, are dead. Um, yeah. So they had, if they were going to bring charges, they had to, they had to bring them sooner than anybody else because of this uh, statute of limitations. I think the question really is also whether this case, and this I think will be argued in a selective prosecution uh, motion by the defense, whether this case would have been brought against anybody other than Donald Trump. And we've talked about this question of most of these types of cases, these business records cases, unless they're part of a false business record in connection with the pizza parlor, that's a front for a heroin, heroin organization from a organized crime family. Those cases tend to be civil. Um, you, you pay a fine, you correct the business record, and everyone moves on from that. And so it's only fair to ask, was this a case that was uniquely brought because the defendant uh, is Donald Trump? And if so, I think, again, it's not necessarily going to be a winning motion that's a selective prosecution. But in the public political arena, I think the notion that this is a selective public, uh, selective political prosecution will resonate. And that's the danger, I think, when you bring a case like this and you don't prevail, do you make the other cases weaker? weaker. Look that's at the it. question. And and so you have a jab setting up a body blow and then a uppercut for, for the knockout. And then a haymaker the jab, for the knockout. If the, if the jab misses and um everyone else thinks that you therefore are not much of a you know, there's not much here, does that you know set well, that's up the political fallout? Well that but understand that, but, but that's not the legal fallout. Yes. I understand I that, mean, but prosecutors prosecutors I don't think should in first instance make determinations about whether to prosecute or not on political uh, criteria. But in a case like this, I don't think that they can ignore the political implications of, of what they do. And that, that is, I think, something that is um, that is an issue here. And I think that the other thing, Brian, is if this case is if this the I don't know how to say this politely. If, if this case, say the success it. of this case hinges on the testimony of Michael Cohen. Yes. Then what I don't understand is why is Michael Cohen still on television? Because every day he's on television, he says something else that seems to prove personal animus toward uh, Donald Trump. And that is just ammunition for cross-examination that this is really uh, a, a revenge vendetta uh, 
thing on Cohen's part that it's made up uh, just to get even with Trump because he, Cohen, went to jail on mostly unrelated stuff. Uh, yes. Um, and and he's just trying to get even. And, and all you do is keep playing the clips of him on television day after day saying, you know, in the beginning, Cohen used to refer to Trump as Mr. Mr. Trump. Now it's Donald in a very sneering uh, sort of way. Donald's going to get his due. Donald's going to get, you know, and if I'm, def you know, if I'm a defense attorney, I'm going to play these clips and say, Cohen, you're a convicted liar who has a animus toward Trump, who you blame for your response, for, for, for your, your downfall. And you're, you're so unreliable as a, as a witness that one, the Manhattan district, the, the, the Southern district federal prosecutors refused to bring this case, even though they had all the facts that you gave them. And two, in assessing your honesty, special counsel Mueller refused to give you consideration as a fully cooperative witness. He didn't ask for the downward departure in your sentencing because he didn't think you were fully honest with him. So you've got two prosecutors who said, I'm not bringing it. I'm not trust. This guy's not trustworthy. Um, you got a guy who's on television with this vendetta uh, mantra, and you've got a very weak factual case with a statute of limitations, selective prosecution um, component to it. If you're that prosecutor, Alvin Bragg, you don't consider all of those things, then many of which are not strictly legal, uh, then I think you're making a mistake. But as we said at the very outset, we say all this without having seen the indictment, and there is, you know, talk in the in the press that there is some unknown witness uh, that Bragg has brought before the grand jury, who may be more compelling. For me, the only compelling witness here is Weisselberg. He's the yeah. only one who can say, yes, of course, Trump knew about the hundred thirty thousand dollars. Yes, of course, this was to. Uh, shut Stalemy Daniels up so that it didn't impact our campaign. And yes, we repaid Michael as um, fake legal fees, and I took the deduction for it. Yes, all that's true. If he says that, um, and he's the only one I think who comes to mind that can say that, if he can say all of that and they can overcome motions to dismiss for statute of limitations um, problems, then it's a good case. But I don't know that they have that yet. Yeah, I don't and, know if they, and do I don't think they get it. I mean, David Pecker, the guy who owns the National Enquirer, has testified in the grand jury. If he says that these this payment to Stormy Daniels was part of the broader scheme that he and Trump had concocted to make sure that none of these uh, eruptions by uh, accusers impact his campaign, that's helpful testimony. Yeah, but that's not concrete. That because that's that, what you're talking about. No, is it's corroborative. Yeah, it's corroborative of Trump's motive. Remember, Trump on the airplane when asked, and there's video of this, which will be played. When Trump was on the airplane, he was asked, "Do you know anything about this payment?" And correct me if I'm wrong on this, John and, and Brian. I thought he was asked, "Do you know anything about the Stormy Daniels payment?" He said, "No." Ask Michael Cohen. Yeah. So. Uh, if he says Correct, no, John, I mean, as I remember it, that's that's how it went down. That, but the question I have—let me just finish the thought. Yeah. So he's saying, "No, I don't know anything about this payment." 
His lawyer has been on television saying this was a shakedown and um, Trump was uh, hamstrung to do anything but pay her for, you know, impact of it on his family. Well, so how can that be if he doesn't know anything about the payment? How can right. he have a motive to protect his family and therefore makes this uh, shakedown payment when on the airplane he says, I don't know anything about it. I don't know about it. So, I mean, all of these people have um, parts to their testimony that, that really don't add up. Yeah, uh, think... which maybe, which <laughs> maybe, maybe is, well, then fine. We'll let the jury Decide. sort out who they who they believe or the judge believe. yeah no, that's part of the you know people are griping about him you know this is the american judicial system at work be he's indicted and he beats the rap i'm fine with that that's exactly the way that works but john i don't know that um i mean you when you see what donald is doing after this it makes you wonder exactly does he even, th I mean, if he gets through this unscathed, he already believes he's, he's the Teflon Don. Does he, uh, does he get stronger as a, and more viable as a presidential candidate you think, or less? He certainly does in the primary in, in the general election, at least this one case where we, we just not enough time has passed since Thursday for the polling to really reflect this. Now, um, there has been a round of polling uh, since Trump himself said he was going to be arrested and then wasn't uh, two weeks ago. And that polling shows that among Republicans and, and against the other Republican candidates, ones who have declared, and we think Ron DeSantis is running because he's doing all the things um, that a presidential candidate would do at this point. Um, Trump is pulling away from the pack. He's putting distance between himself and all the other Republican uh, candidates. So the initial notion of him being indicted soon has helped him for sure and you know he's going to give among remarks republicans to, among republicans right um now he's going to give remarks tuesday night when he gets back to mar-a-lago after the arraignment in manhattan um so he's looking for maximum bounce here and he's only thinking about the primary and that's very trump trumpian thinking is what's you know what's the next thing in front of me so you know, he could put Ron DeSantis and these folks away before the primary really even starts, before anyone gets him on a debate stage. Um, so it might take a real will game. He, will he go to the debate stage? Why? Why, why go to the debate stage? Right. Why, why Why? do something to lose the game? And this is all this has always been um, this has always been the danger in this case going first. But I think it makes more sense now, Michael clearly explained I, in a way I haven't heard anyone else that that they had to go because of the statute of limitations. So they had to go now. Uh, but still, if you miss the jab to, to keep this boxing metaphor going, if you miss the jab against a counterpuncher like Donald Trump, oh yeah, then you're in trouble because then the counterpuncher goes on the offensive and you're against the ropes. You had him against the ropes. You missed the jab and then you know, he's it, just wailing haymakers on you. Now there'll be political haymakers because, of course, these are criminal charges. So he's he is limited, but he can put a lot of pressure on all those other DAs. Put a lot of pressure on DOJ, political pressure, um, and that's always been uh, 
that's always been the challenge here. Now there is a new poll out this morning, uh, ABC poll, that you know thirty about around thirty seven percent of Republicans either believe Donald Trump should be charged in this case or they don't know. That's interesting because I mean even though it's you know north of sixty or around sixty that say right. he should not be among Republicans, thirty seven percent is pretty high of, yeah. of Republican voters not just jumping to his defense and jumping into his corner. So that's something to keep an eye on. And then does, but as always voters, these polls are contradictory because when they're also asked, who do you want to vote for in the primary? They say, I don't think they're taking so far. The polling indicates to me that Republican voters say, well, he might have done this. He might have falsified the records and everything else that, that Cohen and the prosecutor say uh, he did, but that's not a disqualification from being president again. Well, final thoughts. Well, certainly not a le- It's not a legal. Right. No, right. not a legal not. one. Only no, political or moral. Only, yeah, only seditious conspiracy. Yeah, I mean, because this question gets asked a lot. If he's convicted of this crime, can he still run for president? Of course. The irony, the irony of it, of course, is if he's convicted of these felonies, um, he may not be allowed to vote, but he can still run. Yeah. I, I just want to see him have a, a cabinet meeting in jail. But anyway, that's he's that's, not going to jail. I know, I know, I know, I know. He never will. He'll... But remember, remember, this is the guy in a debate with Hillary Clinton when she Lop thought she had him and started talking about him. Well, he cheats on his taxes and he doesn't pay his taxes. And Donald Trump looked at her, chuckled, looked into the camera and said, no, I don't. Yeah. And it didn't hurt him. No. He gets away with this kind of stuff. Yeah, of course, because, yeah, well, so that brings me to my last question for you, John, before we go to break, and that is, uh, how do you think, do we keep falling for him in the press? We just keep covering him, is, or is this, is, this is a legitimate charge. I mean, we have to cover it, but there are those that complain that we just give him too much oxygen. I know, uh, this is, this is, uh, this is a big question for the business right now, but my answer it's kind of the same as last week. We have to right now because he is the first president uh, to ever be charged with a crime or he will be on Tuesday. Yeah. So this is history. Uh, of course, Gerald Ford made the tough decision uh, to, to, to pardon Richard Nixon. So he was never charged with anything. Gary. And you know what he said about that, right? <laughs> he said it was for the good of the country. And afterwards he, he said he was, he was with a golfing buddy and he said, um, I'm going to go to hell for, for, for that decision. He regretted it for the rest of his life. Well, that's an, this is an interesting question about what, as all these cases play out, and as you alluded to, Brian, it could take years the way Trump delays, deflects, and, and everything else that he does, and use all the, all the legal maneuvers possible within the trial to stretch it out and buy time. Um, for, there was an NBA coach, Larry not just an NBA coach, his uh, legendary coach, Larry Brown. And I grew up in Charlotte too. Yeah. (laughs) used to go to Hornets games in Charlotte. He was at the time coaching the Indiana Pacers. They had Reggie Miller, Rick Smith, a really good team. Uh, But sometimes they didn't shoot well, but Larry Brown would keep them in games because they did play defense. And then he would use all of his timeouts. He would stretch the game out and then Reggie would just get hot. You know, he's a streaky shooter like they all are. Reggie would shoot him back in the game and they would steal one on the road 90 to 89 or something. Yeah. That's kind of how Trump does legally. He just stretches it out, stretches it out, 
keeps himself in the game. So, you know, the interesting question is President Biden, President Harris, President DeSantis, if it's not Trump, you know, somebody's going to have a decision to make sitting behind the Resolute desk or whatever desk they use in the Oval Office. Do we... <laughs> Do I pardon this guy for the same reason that President Ford uh, decided to to pardon Richard Nixon? And you know, I if I was a serious candidate or the vice, sitting vice president or the sitting president, I would start thinking about that. Well, can I just say one would, thing? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me follow that up real quick. You think that Biden would ever make that decision? Second term Biden might. This uh, first term Biden, not a chance. Okay, yeah. so let me just say one thing, which is. The president of the United States has no authority to pardon anyone for state right. charges. This so, is this all the once so, it all so, plays so, out. So, so no, but what I'm saying, John, I'm not Georgia. disagreeing with you about the the I, the notion of this. Okay. But even if Biden first or second term Biden were to say, in the aftermath of a Trump conviction by Jack Smith in federal cases, I'm going to do a Gerald Ford. He he can't impact a conviction in Fulton County or in Manhattan. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right. Good point. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll have a lot more. Stick around. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. As you probably know, Independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With me again from editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett, and our favorite former federal prosecutor, Michael Zeldin. Uh, both of them are, were, were talking about the uh, Trump response and the indictment this week. Um, I want to uh, take a break from Trump for a minute, thank God, and uh, <laughs> talk a little bit about some of the fallout. Uh, John, you and I were on Capitol Hill earlier this week, and one of the things I asked Mitt Romney is, you know, is he considering a run? Is there anyone, I mean, it's Trump related, I understand, but in emerging out from the stench of Donald Trump, is there anyone in the, uh, and we've talked about Chris Christie and we've talked about Mitt Romney, we've talked about the Sununu, is there anyone that can get enough votes that would take the GOP away from Donald Trump and bring them, steer them back towards reality even a bit. And like I said, I asked Mitt Romney point blank, you've asked him. And uh, I said, when are you going to get your party straight? And he goes, well, that's up to the voters. I go, why isn't it up to you? And he goes, I, I, I've had my time. Now, maybe he changes his mind, maybe not. But is there anyone in your uh, purview that you see that could do it? As of right now, no. Um, again, the, the polls are fascinating right now because he's Trump is pulling away despite his his legal troubles. Um, he's raising, you know, his can uh, the campaign organization put out an email and said, you know, in the well, I guess 24 hours since uh, the news broke of the indictment, they had raised four million dollars just in that time. 
you know, that's that's a that's lot how he's paying his bills, man. He's got no business. Do, he's got right. he's nothing. That's it. This is it. Do this we believe real. them? We'll find out. You know, I guess the next FEC filing, we'll find out if that was true. So, uh, no <laughs> real way to know right now. Um, but it would take a game changer. It would take a national name. I think it would take a fellow counterpuncher, a brash individual, and the only one I see that 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 has that kind of public persona is Chris Christie. It's not Ron DeSantis. I don't, when he tries to do it, uh, DeSantis knows that he needs so much of, to peel off so much of that Trump base uh, that he hasn't been willing to, at least publicly, okay. yeah. yeah, go hard at Donald Trump. Uh, Chris Christie does do that. On He's on you know, ABC this week, every Sunday. Uh, he's had at least a couple. He was in New Hampshire, hint, hint. Um, yeah. last week and he was critical of Trump and he takes Trump on uh takes Trump right on that's that Jersey mentality uh, he was governor in Jersey so I think it would take someone like that and Christie says in the next you know 30 45 days uh, he'll announce a decision about running I I didn't even realize Christie was thinking about running so he sees something uh, he sees exactly what you're alluding to I think he, he sees a lane here where he could he could be the spoiler yeah. Or at well, least... Wait a second, Brian. What happened to the John Bennett for president movement? That's... <laughs> I'm so on that board. Where that's being abandoned on this yeah. podcast. This is breaking news on the on the just. I the am on board for that one. Let's Brian, get the alert out. I don't. Is not declaring. But you you never you Brian, uh, Michael you never said you would uh, manage the campaign or be chief of staff so that's without it. that I got no chance. Well, I was hoping you'd win. That's why that's why I stepped back. I could be the kiss of death for any campaign. <laughs> and the only thing I want to run for is the nearest neighborhood bar. But uh, that aside, if Christie sees a lane, even with this polling, look, a lot of this is false polling. We know it's uh, oh, the sure of the moment. Yeah. Um. At some point in time, it was Liz Cheney who said, you know, there'll be a time when Donald Trump is over and done. And the stain, you know, the dishonor that some of the people in the GOP have by uh, their swearing their allegiance. And I, and I, you know, will will not wash away from them. So we're talking about a lot of the leadership in the G, including, you know, uh, that wonderful former friend of, of, her father's uh you know you look at Lindsay and, and graham and you just go what what happened to him and you look at um the marjorie taylor greens of the world who apparently got into a twitter war with stormy doinkles stormy daniels uh overnight and uh that was something to to uh yeah and and then you look at uh the lauren boberts and all of that and it just doesn't seem and matt gates and louis gomert and it just doesn't look like there's a, a very strong bench strength in on the Republican Party. Yes. I mean, you see those well, guys a, in Congress more than I do. And I, I look at them and go, man, if they're running from us, Josh Hawley's doing a 440 trying to get away from us, trying to answer, answer questions. It, it doesn't fare well. Well, there's a bench, uh, but the bench is nuts. like, well, it depends on which bench you're looking at. Um, if you're looking at the bench that so far is is trying to run for president, you've got DeSantis, who people say is a Trump lookalike. And then you've got governors and former governors, Nikki Haley from South Carolina. She's already in the race. Uh, 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 Chris Sununu in New Hampshire. He he might be in the race eventually. 
So you've got a list of of those governors and, and former governors, uh, Mike Pence, but you know they wanted to hang Mike Pence, and he's still trying to to win the nomination. I don't by see defending how Trump. Yeah, and he's defending Trump despite January sixth. So there's a bench, but they're not number one. Okay, we're, we'll go from boxing to baseball. These aren't number one starters. Maybe Ron DeSantis is an ace. He's probably a number two or number three. He's pitcher, a relief hitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah Nikki, Nikki, Chris, Chris Sununu, you know, you could give Chris Sununu the ball in game three and probably feel pretty good about it. But is he <laughs> an ace? I I don't know if we've seen that yet. Um, same thing with Nikki Haley, you know, capable governor, uh, one in a very conservative place. She's a very conservative person. Uh, we don't know what that resonates outside of the South yet. Um, you know, she's trying, she's running a professional campaign. Uh, we'll see, but I just, as of right now, you know, maybe Chris Christie's a number one starter. He certainly has a fastball. Don't know how much control he has on that <laughs> campaign. Well, um, Trump but, certainly had no control. Either. Right. But if, if they're, you know, if they're going to send somebody out last Thursday to pitch opening day or game one of the playoffs, it's still Donald John Trump. Well, and that brings me to to Michael to the question I wanted to ask you. If if that's the case, what moves the meter? Is it future indictments? Could they move the the meter? And how seriously are these other cases? And how close are they to to being? And, and let's start. You know, Mar-a-Lago, uh, the three that we're looking at: Mar-a-Lago, the January sixth investigation, and of course um, Georgia. How close are we in any of those? And could they move the meter? Well, let's start with could they move the meter? The The question is, if he's convicted of charges that people consider serious charges, then I think it moves the meter. If they convict him of charges that people think are just blatantly political, that were brought only to try to damage his political prospects, I think it may be helpful to him uh, yeah. because it allows him to keep saying, you see what I'm telling you? The deep state is after us. He always says us. It's not just me. If it, they come for me, they can come for you. And they, they, they throw up these Mickey Mouse politically motivated charges. We can't let them do that. I think that that, you know, some in some universe could be helpful uh, to him. So, that's, you know, sort of does it move the needle part of the answer to your question. Uh, as to the merits of the case, each case has issues. And it looks like on the federal cases first, they're beginning to potentially address some of those issues. As to the conspiracy to interfere with the orderly transfer of power, they've needed people like Mark Meadows, who could connect Trump to the insurrectionists. They have not had that testimony until very recently. Uh, Meadows may appeal the order that he has to testify, but if they get the testimony of people like Meadows and the inner circle of people in this hub of the wheel, which is the conspiracy, then the case gets stronger. Likewise in Mar-a-Lago. This case is never really about Trump's taking the documents at the uh, threshold matter. It's a matter of 
did he obstruct the investigation when he was asked to return those documents? The persons who can answer those questions are being subpoenaed. One of them, Corcoran, Trump's lawyer who wrote the letter that said we've done a diligent search and we found nothing new that you are entitled to, uh, is now having to testify because we know that that letter was was not true. And what Corcoran theoretically can answer is, what did Trump know about this? And so if they get Corcoran's testimony and they say, yeah, Trump knew all about these documents, and he just said, you know, screw it, they're mine, then you've got a stronger obstruction case. If Meadows says, absolutely, Trump knew what was going on. He was talking to the people in the, the Willard Hotel in the war room. He knew what Stone was up to. He knew what Bannon was up to. This was all, you know, be there, be wild was uh, was the the calling card for uh, a prearranged conspiracy. That's a strong, strong, that makes that case stronger. In, in Fulton County, it's very hard to see what's going on there. I know that people who believe this indictment is a strong indictment say, well, just look at the Brad Rathenberger uh, phone call where he says, just find me these votes. Isn't that in and of itself prima facie evidence of, of a crime? The people who I know that have studied this case more carefully say that that long phone call with Rathenberger isn't as incriminating as this one little clip that has been taken out um, uh, makes it appear to be. And so I have less transparency into the, the the strength of that case, but I wouldn't hinge a case on the president of the United States calling the secretary of state of Georgia saying, you know, I believe that this election you had there in Georgia was fraudulent. And I've only, I'm only, I only lost by a mere 11,780 votes. Can you please investigate this further? Because I, I'm convinced that there are more votes to be had in my column if only you'll do your damn job. Yeah, that's different. That makes yeah. a criminal. I don't know if that, that makes a criminal case. It makes for a unseemly um, conversation, um, maybe an ethically or morally challenged um, person. But Wait, you're saying that, Donald that Trump that could, makes should be eth could be ethically or morally challenged? Donald Trump. Well, we could pick, we could we could take that up on a future podcast. <laughs> but all I'm saying, Brian, is it, when you take a step back. That's why we want you to run, Michael. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm still I'm in, I'm still in Bennett's corner. I don't know that 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 phone call, that standalone matter, gets you a criminal uh, in, indictment. But people will say, "Well, that's you're Zeldin. You're so stupid. You're taking this little." you know, piece of it and not seeing the bigger picture. This was all part of a broader scheme to undermine the integrity of that election. Maybe so, but I haven't seen a lot of evidence that gets this too criminal yet. Uh, I still see it as more political and morally and ethically uh, problematic than uh, legal. So well, and that's an why, now we know I'm why you're in Bannon's corner. Excuse me? Now we know why you're in Bannon's corner still. Uh, yeah. <laughs> looking for the big paycheck for my Breitbart um, legal analysis contract. Yeah, absolutely. Instead of the George Soros contract. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Soros, he, he's just funding Alvin Bragg. Even though, <laughs> even though he just came out on recently. He said, now, I don't even know him. He said, who is Alvin Bragg? Yeah. Who and why, is it that, why is it that Soros, just 
uh, maybe <clears throat> you two can answer this question. So anyway, to answer your question, Brian, the, yeah. the, the, the federal cases seem to be moving along. The Georgia case, I'm not so uh, sanguine about, but we really don't know what evidence they have. And New York, we've discussed uh, ab yeah. nauseum. So what was your but question? What why is Soros the 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 poster child for evil on on liberal? I mean, there are a lot of people. Anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism. That's but, I, that's what I get out of it. Not. Uh, but I mean, but there. But if that's the case, there are other Jewish benefactors, and as as a Jew, I know uh, that there's a lot of anti-Semitism out there. Um, but why not? You know, Bloomberg. Um, because Donald supported. Trump has been saying George Soros. I know, but I've been saying is how did George Soros get to be the 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 poster child for 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 evil? I why my him? I of suspect all, of all the benefactors, why him? I guess I'm more. You know, I, I suspect because it's the easiest to pronounce for Donald, and it's the one that sticks in his head. If someone else did, he would. John, your thoughts? <laughs> Uh, I, 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 your guess is as good as mine. I believe the Soros, I believe the Soros Clinton connection, uh, yeah, that had still, something to do with it. I think it still bothers, uh, Donald for a lot of different reasons. Um, I've certainly heard a lot of folks, uh, uh, cite the anti Semitism. Uh, we've seen that before, uh, from Mr. Trump and others. No. <laughs> and, you know, Soros is one of these guys who's, because of Fox News uh, personalities and other commentators on the right, he's become, uh, you know, something of a villain type character. And uh, they certainly embellish things. So I think it's probably multi, uh, multifaceted. But, you know, I've heard Soros mentioned just out of the blue. When, and a, a couple of times a week, I turn oh, on I Fox heard him blame him. I heard them blame him for COVID. That's <laughs> Yeah, and you know we've all heard it just out of the blue. You turn on Fox Prime Time, and they're talking about something, and then boom, George Soros, and yeah. where did that come from? You know, the Yankees lost last night. That was George Soros's fault. <laughs> By the way, uh, my team in the NCAA lost. George Soros was behind that. <laughs> the alignment of the planets. Uh, uh that was Bannon. George Soros was right. the one who broke it up. But <laughs> uh, yeah, he gets blamed for a lot. Look, before we take off the break, we got a couple other things to. Uh, um, to talk about in the, in the next segment. But one of the last things is, um, and then I, I, I'm going to bring this letter up because I get this a lot from uh, people who send us uh, email letters. <clears throat> Why is it that uh, we seem to be fixated on uh, potential crimes that Donald Trump may or may not have committed and we never talk about Hunter Biden's laptop? So uh, I'll, I'll 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 weigh in last on that, but thirty seconds of it from you. Why, John? Start with you. Why is that? Well, number one, uh, Hunter Biden has never been the president of the United States, so we have a responsibility to report on uh, these charges and potential charges against Mr. Trump. Um, Hunter Biden did not play a big role in January sixth. As far as I know, Hunter Biden did not try in multiple states to overturn a presidential election. So um, all of that vaults to the front. Now, I will probably break with some of our colleagues in the business and say um, there probably should be a few more folks devoted to uh, the Hunter Biden beat and the, the Biden business beat 
if for no other reason than the old adage that you and I have talked about, Brian, about journalism, this guy says something, we, let's go ask this guy and check it out. I don't know. I do think we have a duty to check out some of the charges that Mr. Trump and Mr. Comer and Mr. Jordan and Mr. Hannity and Mr. Carlson are making against Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. And for some, for reasons I don't know, uh, we're not investing those resources uh, on, on those issues right now. And, and I think um, it would behoove everyone if, if the business uh, did cover that and, and, and put investigative reporters on it. Just don't put political reporters on it, put yes. professional investigative reporters on it. And you can go from the angle of, okay, Comer said this on Tuesday, let's spend a week or two looking into it. Michael. Well, firstly, it doesn't interest me uh, all, all that much because it seems that the issue with Hunter Biden and his laptop is mostly about whether the child of a prominent politician traded on the family name to make money. That, that to me, is sort of like axiomatic of life in America. Every... <laughs> every um, relative of famous people seem to be trading on their parents or siblings' stature. Hillary Rodham's, um, Hillary Clinton's brother, Hugh Rodham, Billy Carter, Jimmy Carter's, um, and you know the 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 uh, the Saudi funding of Trump's uh, son-in-law. I mean, the, these are all cases that speak to problems in America broadly. That is, people get to make profit off of politics. It's it's pretty lousy. And Hunter Biden just seems to be, to me, routine corruption, uh, not necessarily illegal corruption, but corruption of the moral fabric of our society. Well, you can, but you can you can do this. So it just doesn't interest me all that much. We also know that the U.S. attorney, the Trump holdover U.S. attorney by Biden's allowance, is investigating um, Hunter Biden to see whether there's criminal activity there. So I'm happy to wait to see what he has to say, and then we can talk about what his determinations are. So. It, to the, to the person who writes in, I hear you. Uh, for me, it's not a big story if it's really just about profiting off of your parents uh, uh, or or siblings' um, pol political stature. It's just that, that doesn't interest me. And well, I, I'm gonna. It's not because it's it's not because it's Hunter um, Biden. It's not political. I, I think there's. I think that the 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 Saudi funding of um, Trump's um, son-in-law is way more problematic than Hunter Biden's um, Ukraine connection. But right. I'm not following that either because Jared Kushner uh, is a person who doesn't have a, a help. He holds no interest to me. It's just he here's a guy who well, he was trading on his father-in-law's connections Got himself a two billion dollar, uh, you know, sweetheart deal. That's all he's got to do is manage that money. 
Now, who in their right mind would give $2 billion for Jared Kushner to manage when you look at his track record for managing his own properties in New York? They're, they're, they're not that successful. Uh, so yeah. why would they do that? Uh, because Donald Trump is Donald Trump and Jared is related to him. Same well, with me for for um, Hunter Biden. I'm going to I think both of you make excellent points. And um, I'll, I'll you be willing to put that in writing. That yes, I'd be willing to put points. I'd be willing to put that writing. And back you notarize is a good point, John. And notarized, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to. I, I will notarize it, put it in writing, and back you both when you run for office. I, but I will say that um, th that putting an investigative reporter on it is a wise decision to decide whether or not it is a legitimate story. But in so much as we would do that, then you would also want to look at jared because jared is oh actually, sure yeah yeah, yeah. They actually sure. held a held a uh he, he actually held a post in our government so both of them are are worthy of that i it will pique my interest if and when this is any more than just political um demagoguery and that there's actually something there to look at and i don't see that that has been that as of yet and so i'm with you michael when it comes to that as far as i it and, and to be honest with you even if it comes to being a crime and it and there's uh there is a case to be filed against um jared or or, or hunter i would say that that pales in comparison <clears throat> to the interest that i have in the case that involves a former president of the united states so it would have to go second third or fourth in line after all of that so with that said we're going to take a short break we'll come back with some closing comments hey just ask the question podcast listeners if you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. And we're back. It is just ask the question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. I just got an alert that says Trump lawyer argues ex-president would not have been charged if he weren't running in 2024. Well, we've already covered that. So let's, we don't have to go over that issue. One thing I do want to go over is the other thing that, um, has been big this week is gun violence. And of course, after the shooting in Nashville, and I I will say that I have been in and out of the White House briefing room many times over the last 40 years. And I saw something uh, last Monday that I've never seen before. And that was a reporter leave the briefing room in tears. And that was because she had just found out that one of her friends had a child that went to that school in Nashville and she was afraid that the child may not be alive. So um, gun violence is touching and has touched all of us. We have 131, as I, I may even be behind by now, but 
80 or so days into the new year, we've had an average of 1.5 mass shootings a day with a grand total of 131 mass shootings since the beginning of the year. And nothing has been done. Steve Scalise, one of the leaders in the Republican Party himself, was a victim of a mass shooting and still cheers the idea of cheap and plentiful handguns. And the, and the question has to be, are, you know, are they nuts? <laughs> John, <laughs> you know, why hasn't, when people ask, this is one of the, and the reason why I put this in here is because we've had four or five emails as well about that. Uh, why isn't anything done? We cover the hill. We've been there. Uh, why? It's not just handguns. Of course, the AR-15, yeah, the AR-15 is the mass shooter's weapon of choice. Uh, the data makes that abundantly clear. And there's, you know, they they did ban bump stocks. Uh, I think Donald Trump did that actually on his own. Uh, so that's about the only action that we've gotten on the AR-15. Uh, and Republicans, this is just their, their hard line, Second Amendment, never touch it, it's gospel. And, you know, we, we saw not just Mr. Scalise, uh, but John Cornyn, former uh, Senate Republican whip, who, if Mitch McConnell ever leaves the Senate or steps down from leadership, uh, John Cornyn very much wants to be the or, next or falls leader. down. <laughs> Unfortunately, at his age, another fall uh, could, yeah. could be very, very, very bad. Um, and somebody would have to be leader. And the three Johns, John Cornyn, John Barrasso and John Cornyn are seen as the three front runners for for a three-way race to replace McConnell one day down the road, who knows when. Um, and and McConnell asked Cornyn, their old friends, they worked pretty well together, um, last year to be the lead Republican negotiator on the, some people call it a guns bill, I call it a mass shooting prevention bill that did pass, bipartisan, both chambers, President Biden signed it into law. And Cornyn led those negotiations for Senate Republicans and, you know, he got compliments from some Democrats on the job he did. But he said this week, not that we shouldn't do anything. He said there's no further role for Congress on this issue. So he's not even saying, we're, let's not do it because there's an election in 2024. He's saying there's no legal role for Congress because the Second Amendment is is as absolute as anything else that we have. So until you get folks like John Cornyn, because you got to get to 60 votes in the Senate and you're not going to, you know, they're not going to change the filibuster even for this. That's clear. Um, you, you Then you need, you know, you need 11, you know, you need 12 Republicans to to jump on the bus, to jump on your bus and vote with you. They don't have that right now. And until they get the John Cornyns of the world on board, nothing's going to happen. And Michael, that brings me to you as a former federal prosecutor and someone who has studied law. <laughs> Is the second, does it really say that? I mean, we've had this discussion, it seems endlessly about what the Second Amendment is, which was written at a time before there were even bullets. I mean, it was muskets back then. Is is that true? Is it is, is so sacrosanct that we cannot do anything else legislatively? I wish, we still, uh, I wish we still only had muskets. Yeah. That, that would, that would uh, make mass shootings so much more complicated. Yeah. <laughs> In, indeed. Well, the Supreme Court has said in its most recent gun case that the Second Amendment does contemplate 
the individual's right to bear arms. My study of that Second Amendment during my law school days, I'm not a Second Amendment expert, always was understood by me to mean militias, that this yeah. was you know, the, the, pe the right of the people to organize a militia to defend themselves or to overthrow a tyrann tyrannical government. Now, implied in that, I suppose, if you if you don't have an individual right to bear arms, how can you form a militia and have a collective right to bear arms? So I understand the, the argument uh, that the Second Amendment does protect the right of individuals to bear arms. But that's not the question that really is that which should be asked. The question is, even if you have a right to bear arms, there is nothing that says that right to bear arms can't be restricted in some ways. You know, you can't buy um, certain over-the-counter pharmaceuticals. You can't buy Sudafed without giving your driver's license and, and signing an authorization that you're not making methamphetamines with, you know, Sudafed purchases. You can't get a license to drive a car or fish without you know, taking a, a, a test of some of some sort. So there are there are things that can be done to limit access to guns uh, by certain classes of people. There could be things that limit the people's right to hold those guns without trigger locks or sold um, in private sales. There are things that can be done which could not violate Second Amendment right to bear arms principle did we lose you, Michael? He he froze. <laughs> well, mm. well, I'm going to go ahead and, and I agree with you, Michael. But I'm going to say this, and and John, you can you know one of the things I've you still there, Michael? We lost you for a second. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know what happened. Oh, I, I guess you know uh, it's the the NRA censoring my. <laughs> You want to? I was going to say I agree with that. Here's the thing: I have done several investigative reports over the years on uh, the NRA, the uh, and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And what I find is that this this discussion to me is specious because we do not fund the ATF well enough. There are not enough investigators or or uh inspectors at the atf to enforce the laws we already have on the books and in many states uh illegal purchases are made because there are simply not enough people investigating the gun shops and there's that loophole and that you have in, in uh, uh gun shows i i find all of this to be to me until they actually put some money into it whatever they say i'm not buying but i will say this I've covered a lot of mass shootings over the years, and they're making a big one out of Nashville that this was a transgender person who did it. In my experience, I have never met a sane human being who perpetrated a mass shooting. So it matters. Well, I thought you were going to put a period at the end of I've never met a sane human being. <laughs> Present company accepted. But, but the truth of the matter is, I have never met, I've never seen a sane human being who would walk into a place and just whack people indiscriminately. Starting with the first one I covered in Luby's at, uh, in Kylene, Texas in 1992 and all the dozens and hundreds I've covered since. The people that are involved in them 
should never have had their hand on a gun. And it's true that when we had an assault weapons ban, you know, the, the number of mass shootings went down because as you pointed out, John, the, you know, the, it's always the AR-15. It's those assault weapons that are the, uh, you know, the choice. They'll have a couple of guns with them, handguns. <clears throat> and usually, by the way, the handguns are the last thing used and they take their own life with them. And that's what happened in Luby's. Right. That's what ha has happened on several, in several uh, cases where they'll use a handgun and in their own life after they've killed everybody else around them indiscriminately with AR-15s. I don't think there's any way you can get around, even if you support the Second Amendment, which is what I was asking Josh Hawley the other day. How do you get away? I mean, there are people that are just tired of getting, we're, you know, Americans are tired of getting shot at. You've got to do something about it. And I don't think it's, uh, it would go against the Second Amendment, as Michael pointed out, to make sure that there are uh, adequate measures in place to make sure that crazy ass people don't get a hold of guns and go after us. I'm not worried yeah. about my in-law. I'm worried about my in-law's friend who steals from his cabinet and who's never had a charge against him in their life and walking around with an AR-15 whacking people. And, you know, to this point, that was an there was an article in the, in the paper the other day, which is that uh, these gun manufacturers are now moving. And there used to be a lot of them in Connecticut. And they're all moving down to North Carolina and other more gun-friendly states. So Texas, North Carolina, yeah. Florida. So when, when, when a state decides that it's going to try to restrict access to guns uh, or hold gun manufacturers liable for um, the crimes committed with these guns, they're, they're you know, sort of like shuttering their doors and moving to, to more friendly states rather than say, why don't we take this seriously and try to be part of the solution? Right. They, they are just continuing to be part of the problem. And <laughs> But I, at the end of the day, folks, if you want something done, you're going to have to have enough people to inspect the gun shops and the uh, in order to make sure that people at least at least obey the laws that are already on the books. So with that being said, John, where can we catch you? Your chance to plug? Uh, CQ.com uh, for the CQ afternoon briefing newsletter just Wednesday this week with Congress on recess. And of course, uh, the weekly column Friday morning, rollcall.com. And did you have a, a final thought there, John? You look deep in contemplative thought. <laughs> no, I was just thinking about your what you said about more ATF agents, but uh, Republicans on the Hill in both chambers would would block that, saying that that's just a deep state attempt to to come get your guns. It's a gun grab. <laughs> so that that too would need sixty votes, and we have a Republican controlled House, and the map does not look good on in either chamber for Democrats, at least as of right now in twenty twenty four. So um, you 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 probably have a point there, but it but ain't going to get done. It doesn't have the votes. Yep, yep. Michael, where can we see you and your final thoughts? You can hear me on my podcast, That Said with Michael Zeldin. Each week we uh, have a conversation about a, a new book. This most recent week we had an interesting conversation about something I knew nothing about, the Confederate Army's effort to get ships to win the Civil War oh, yeah. on the sea. Uh, their efforts to get Liverpool shipmakers to sell them ships, which they would then use to end the blockade. Uh, 
that the Union had around the South, which allow their cotton trade to then flourish, which will allow them enough weapons to continue the war. It's a fascinating uh, story. And we've got some music ones coming up, Brian. We're going to do one uh, with Stephen Moore, who wrote oh. a book about the founding of the, the Birchmere, and um, another one about the creation of the music magazine Crawdaddy in, oh, in the 1970s. Yeah. Uh, so we're trying to you know stay away from politics and law and stick to interesting stories. So that said, with Michael Zeldin on all your favorite podcast apps. And this is Just Ask the Question. And I am your host, Brian Kerm. You can catch my stuff uh, on Salon and uh, Washington Diplomat and here every week, twice a week. And we will catch you next time.